Welcome to the Human Experience Podcast, the only podcast designed to fuse your left and right brain hemispheres and feed it the most entertaining and mentally engaging topics on the planet. As we approach our ascent, please make sure your frontal, temporal and occipital lobes are in their full upright position. As you take your seat of consciousness, relax your senses and allow us to take you on a journey. We are the Intimate Strangers. Thank you for listening. Xavier Katana here with The Human Experience. Guys, wow, what an absolutely profound, magical, game-changing episode we have here with Mestri Jeffrey Bronfman. Jeffrey was the president of the UDV in the United States from the early 1990s to 2005. He was also instrumental in spearheading the legislation in the Supreme Court case, granting us the freedom to drink huasca, otherwise known as ayahuasca. I must sincerely thank Jeffrey for not only lending me his time, but trusting me with doing this episode and giving HXP the exclusive. You will not hear this anywhere else. He was asked by Time, ABC, NBC, Larry King, and other major networks to do an interview, and he trusted us, the human experience, with this recording. I must also thank a very good friend of mine who was instrumental in setting this episode up. I'm certain he will be listening. If you're interested in communing with the divine, with connecting with divine intelligence, realigning with your purpose, your own spiritual evolution, and if you're interested in learning about using these plant medicines from healing us to connecting us back to the source before the modern advent of pharmacology and chemical substances was the plant realm to be able to access this true medicine is one of the greatest gifts we as human beings experiencing life on this planet have so i'm beyond thankful and grateful to have had the opportunity to speak with jeffrey one-on-one to really dig into the story of what happened to him during the dea's raid on jeffrey's property in this episode we lay out that story in detail this episode was seamless and there's a very potent wise lucid understanding that comes with jeffrey's words which i'm certain that you will pick up on if you enjoy this episode help us cover server costs bandwidth costs which increase every day you can do this by getting to thehumanxp.com slash donate we put a massive amount of momentum into curating these episodes for you guys so we sincerely appreciate any support that you can offer please also get to our facebook page and give us a like there follow us on twitter to stay up updated on everything we're doing you can do that by finding us at the human xp guys as always thank you so much for listening this episode makes my job 100 worth it thank you guys the human experience is in session my guest today is mr jeffrey bronfman Jeffrey, my good sir, it's an honor. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for the privilege of communicating with you and through this conversation, reaching out to others. So Jeffrey, we were, we were talking about 
the UDV today. I, I for, before we get to that, I would like to the UDV and the Supreme Court legislation. I, I would like to I would like to know a little bit more about who you are for anyone listening that might not know who who you are. Can you just tell us briefly about yourself and your background, please? Sure. I was uh, born in a Jewish family, both on my father and my mother's side in Canada. Um, and I was influenced in my youth from the sense of being part of a people with a long history going back thousands of years and the, the sense of culture and identity that comes from that. And as I grew up, I, I recognized that there was more of a sense of a universal understanding about myself and my um, path and my, what it means to be human. And I began a search that led me to many different cultural traditions. Um, really, in, uh, it began with, with teachings from, from India, as I think it began for, for many people. And then I started to appreciate the wisdom traditions from uh, the, this hemisphere in, in terms of the, the native populations in Central and South America and studying within different indigenous and shamanic traditions and appreciating the, the awareness that they had about the nature of the human experience and the nature of our consciousness and, and what the responsibilities of being human were and how to care for our community, the land, our families. Mm, and yeah. I became aware that within the wisdom traditions of, of the Americas, there were um, traditions that were based on the use of sacred plants and plants that could assist us in communing more fully with the natural world and gain a greater insight and understanding of ourself. And so that began a process for me of learning more about that dimension of the human experience. And that's what ultimately brought me over a period of years to where I encountered the, the tradition that I follow today, which uh, we speak of as the, the UDV, the Wunyal de Vegetal, working with the sacred plants of the Amazon. Hmm, yeah, intriguing. So, so Jeffrey, you, you first became interested in in the UDV in 1990 when you went into the Amazon to create a conservation preserve is that correct that's correct and let's i mean let's let's fast forward a bit and i mean you embraced the the religion 1992 1999 a shipment of the tea was seized this was the the foundation for the legal battle that subsequently followed what happened in 1999 and what was what was the the trigger event that that led to the tea being seized and and what was your reaction to that mm. well some of these things I, I think happen within a mystery and and their dimensions of that i'm not sure that we'll ever really know fully how and why and and the mystery of how it happened um i I established the UDV in the United States um, after my first trips to Brazil in, in the early 1990s. I established it in 1993. And we had been organized and were realizing ceremonies over a period of years when uh, knowing that eventually there would likely be some questioning on the part of the government of the United States uh, with respect to, to what we were doing because it was somewhat unusual. Mm. And and because we were aware of the fact that what the the tea that we were utilizing is the central sacrament of our religious practice of our spiritual work, if chemically analyzed, could be found to contain 
what would be considered a controlled substance. There are alkaloids or products of, of natural origin within the tea that when synthesized can be utilized in ways that the Drug Enforcement Administration in the United States and the laws of the United States could understandably have some questions about. And so while we felt that what we were doing was protected constitutionally and was protected under the principles of basic human rights of freedom of religion, we recognized that it was an unusual practice and was not common in, in the modern world for people to actively be coming together in a ritual setting and, and drinking a sacrament that had a, uh, a psychoactive effect, a way of enhancing our consciousness and our awareness. So I knew really from the very beginning that there would come a point where there would be some question possibly that could be raised about this practice. And then the way that that question came was in an un unexpectedly strong form where I was, as you indicated, prepared to receive a shipment of our sacrament that was being shipped to us from Brazil. And when I uh, came to the door, there were armed federal agents from the FBI and, and the Customs Service who were there having accompanied the shipment, determined that it contained something that they were concerned about and allowed me to receive the delivery and then came in and, and began a process that led to our going to court. So that, that is, is what's known as a controlled drop, correct? That's correct. It's, it's where there is a shipment that they've determined has some element to it that, that they're concerned about legally. They arrange for the shipment to be delivered. Someone signs and takes responsibility for it. And then the federal authorities that administer that area of the law can come in and, and take legal action because someone's taken responsibility for the shipment. Mm -hmm. And I mean, there were, although there were no arrests made, the, the UDV had to stop using the tea, right? Well, I, I, we made the conscious decision to stop for a number of different reasons. It wasn't that we were ordered to. By indicating that they believed that what we were doing was not a legal activity, we, if we continued, risked the threat of some kind of legal action or prosecution. So although they didn't prosecute anybody initially, there was the threat that a, that a prosecution could happen subsequently. And so we made the decision to suspend our works in order to be able to enter into a process of engaging with the authorities of the United States to be able to show them the beneficent nature of our practice mm -hmm. and to show that we were people who respected the law and respected the the order within our society this is an incredibly stressful event right i mean it, it's it's these federal agents come and you're, you're doing this very you're practicing this very peaceful event and you're enhancing your consciousness and it was proven that there is no harm to the health with with this with this tea and and yet these federal agents are coming down knocking down your door and raiding this area so that they can seize the tea from you. Yeah, I, unquestionably, it, it stirred up a lot of different feelings in me at the time. And it's very different looking back on it now, some, you know, some years later, after all the process that we went through of clarifying our position and clarifying our right through the courts. But at that moment, it was it was stressful. And, and there was a lot of concern I had for myself, for my family, for my future, for my well-being. Because in, in their eyes, um, the question was, was I a criminal importer of a dangerous drug? And that was the way that I could see some of them were viewing me and the notion of there being a legitimate religious and spiritual use for these plants was not something that was part of the 
understanding at that time within the legal system or within the political system. And so that was the work that we had to do was to educate. There were um, conditions, there, there are certain substances that have over the period of, of recent history, I think it was beginning in 1961, came under international control because they had certain properties where there was a concern about them being abused. And in 1961, under a, a convention, a treaty that was signed by uh, countries all over the world, um, the cannabis plant, the, uh, the coca plant, and the, uh, the poppy straw from which opium is derived um, became subject to international control. And that was the beginning of the formation of a body, international coordinated body, that related to the control of plants and psychoactive substances that previously hadn't existed before. And so there were histories of, of use of different kinds of psychoactive plant materials within cultural traditions all over the world going back for thousands of years. Yeah. But in the modern era, there was more of a sense of ways that these um, substances, these plants could be abused and could be misused. And so the system developed that was treating them as if they were dangerous narcotics or, or toxic substances that needed to be restricted, prohibited, and controlled. And so it was within that paradigm that I was encountering the authorities of the the federal government who had been within this paradigm of, of misunderstanding about the nature of, of, of these very vitally important uh, elements of our experience of, of nature, they thought of it as, as something that needed to be uh, criminalized and, and people prosecuted for. It was labeled a Schedule One substance, which is, by definition, has no currently accepted medical use and high potential for abuse. Well, it's, it's, it's interesting that you mentioned that. Actually, our position was that the tea itself wasn't listed as a controlled substance. Um, there was a, a compound that had been found within the tea called dimethyltryptamine that was listed as a controlled substance as a chemical. But the natural occurring element of, of this alkaloid, of this molecule, um, that is pervasive in many different plants in nature, um, we felt was not specifically controlled. And that was one of the, the arguments that we made. But interestingly, the, this idea of no known medical use, in truth, the tea that we use within our religious tradition has been used for healing purposes and for medicinal purposes among traditional societies and shamanic cultures for, for centuries. So while the laws were claiming that there was no known medical use, in reality there had been medical uses, health uses, beneficent uses that had gone on for centuries. It was just not properly understood. Yeah, and and this is something that comes around later, which we will get to. I um, I, I want to go through this this timeline. May nineteen ninety nine, the tea is seized. November two thousand. This is eighteen months later. The UDV is unsuccessful in negotiating a settlement allowing the continuation of the religious practices with the Huasca. Yeah, we from the time that they seized the tea, there were some lawyers who came forward to assist and defend us. And we, through them, tried to have a number of different interfaces with the federal government, explaining to them that it would serve everyone's best interest if we could reach an agreement around how our practice could be um, registered and, and allowed 
rather than having to go through a process where we were living in fear of our freedom and, and the, the, the whole situation was not clear in relationship to the legal status of, the, of our practice. Okay, right. So then uh, the UDV filed a lawsuit in federal court against the uh, the DEA, the U.S. Customs Service, the United States Department of Justice for violations of the First Amendment to the U.S. Constitution and the Religious Freedom Restoration Act. What element of the First Amendment did the UDV use to defend itself? The most important element was that the, the First Amendment of the Constitution allows for the free exercise of religion. It's considered the most basic of all human rights. And in reality, the, the origin of the, the, the American society was born of people who were fleeing a different degree of religious persecution that was going on in, in England and created a society here that was open to different forms of, of uh, freedom of religion. You know, there's many countries in the world today still where the freedom of religion is the freedom to follow the religion that is the state-sponsored religion, as it was in the, the Church of England in the 1700s and 1600s when people start to emigrate to the Western world. So in the formation of the American society, it was based upon this principle of free exercise of religion, that the government should not be involved in the business of religion, it shouldn't be um, legislating and prohibiting religion, nor should it be sponsoring and determining what kind of religions people could follow. It was meant to be an area that was reserved in the Bill of Rights for people to have this most fundamental freedom of, of expression, of, of coming to know their, their own spiritual origin and, and connect to the sacred, connect to the divine. So that's the, the first freedom that's enunciated in the Bill of Rights. Is, is this free exercise of religion and prohibiting the government from or restricting the government from prohibiting this free expression in any way. So that was the basic principle. Hmm. Yeah, and this is incredibly fascinating. So, what was what was the the history behind there? There were Native American organizations that were using peyote as a sacrament. So, I mean, this was this was key in the Supreme Court case. What what was the the history that you found that you ended up kind of researching and finding other religions, other organizations using sacraments within their practice that ended up being a key element in winning this case? Mm. Well, there was this important precedent in terms of the existence of an organization called the Native American Church. And when the, um, these international treaties that I was speaking of before were uh, implemented in terms of the laws of the United States, there was a, an accommodation that was made to the existence of this organization called the Native American Church that had been founded in the late 1800s, where they were allowed to utilize peyote within their religious rituals. And the Native American Church is a diverse organization that has many thousands of practitioners, not all of them Indian. Actually, there are many Native American Church members who are who have come to the Native American church and found meaning in that spiritual practice, who also use peyote in, in the rituals who are not Indian racially, but have accepted that as their spiritual practice and way of life. So in the controlled substance laws that the government was claiming applied to our religious practice, we were aware of the fact that there was an exemption for the religious use of peyote within the Native American church. 
And this went back to another constitutional principle, which is equal justice under the law, that where the government has made an accommodation for one kind of activity, it can't restrict it somewhere else without uh, a compelling reason to do so. It has to treat people equally under the law. And so because there was a tradition that specifically under the laws had been allowed the right to use plants within a spiritual context for their religious work, our claim was that they couldn't deny us that freedom, that it would be unconstitutional, unjust. There were there were a process of appeals, and then it, it, it eventually led to being a Supreme Court case that was a precedent. It allowed us to express the, the freedom of, of religion and drink the tea today in the United States, what was the what was the timeline? How how long did this take for it to move into the Supreme Court so that it could be declared by these these judges? Mm, now that's it's a long story and, and there's many phases along the way. You know, we we ended up filing the lawsuit in November of, of nineteen uh, of two thousand. Mm-hmm. And uh, then there was different stages of the litigation um, first stage was in front of a, a single district court judge where we were asking for a preliminary injunction where based upon a case that we were prepared to present that we could be allowed our spiritual practice um, on the basis of the different arguments that we were making. And, and the government very strongly tried to oppose that. Mm-hmm. And the, uh, the judge ended up making a decision in our favor that ended up getting appealed by the government to the 10th Circuit Court of Appeals. And the 10th Circuit Court of Appeals is the United States judicial system has, is, is the appeals come from the states to different regions of, or what are called circuits in the legal terminology. And so the, uh, the, the District Court of New Mexico is in the same circuit as the District Court in, in, uh, in the appeals court for Colorado and uh, Montana and other states in kind of the central west United States. And so the case was appealed to that court. It was first heard by a three-judge panel. That three-judge panel, after a year of deliberation, ruled in our favor. The government then appealed to a full hearing of all the judges of this Tenth Circuit Court. They agreed to hear the case. There was another period of briefing and oral arguments, another period of months that went by, and they ruled in our favor, again, by a majority of, of eight to five, I believe. And then the government appealed it to the Supreme Court of the United States. From the time that we first filed the lawsuit in November of 2000, till mm-hmm. the time that our case was heard by the Supreme Court of the United States was in uh, November of 2005. So there was five years in active litigation from the time we first filed to the time that the Supreme Court heard our case, and then there was another several months after that before they wrote their ruling. Wow, it's really such an incredibly long, drawn-out process. Jeffrey, I'd really like to talk about some of the foundations of, of the UDV and how this tea is affecting consciousness. Because for me personally, I mean, after my first session with the tea, it it completely changed my life. I used to drink alcohol. I used to do drugs. And after a single session with the tea, I have not had a drink since. That was approximately two years ago. I am a completely reformed, completely different human being 
because of this tea. How do you see these types of changes within the organization that you are part of? Mm. It's it's very personal and and it's a encounter that we make with our own true self, our own higher self, our own spirit, our own essential nature. And I think that as somebody finds greater awareness, naturally there are things that perhaps were things that we were unconsciously utilizing to to help us deal with some of the challenges of life or the pain or some sense of dissatisfaction that that people are are subject to feeling as we become more and more and more aware of who we truly are in our nature and connection to something superior something spiritual something sacred something divine more and more of these our, our way of life changes, how we are within our body, how we are within our word, how we are within our consciousness, how we are within our practice starts to change as we gain awareness of, of who we really are. So that's how I see it working, is that the, the tea serves as a way of amplifying consciousness so that we become more aware of our thoughts, more aware of our feelings, more aware of our tendencies, more aware of our habits, and more consciously able to see the consequences of our choices in relationship to how we choose to use our word, how we, what we choose to take into our bodies, how we choose to relate to other people. We gain more awareness and our life starts to transform as we become more conscious because we start to see certain things that maybe we did habitually or maybe we did out of um, a sense of emptiness before we, we come to a point where we see we no longer need that. We no longer want that. We have a different way of, of moving through life from a different sense of of different sensibility, different awareness. And so it's it's not uncommon what you describe for people who have had challenges with, with uh, substance abuse to come and drink this tea, which is made just from two plants, part of the natural world, without any fermentation, without any form of corruption, and take it into yourself and have it invigorate and illuminate and and. And, and awaken and inspire your your true self, your consciousness. Yeah, such a powerful thing to connect back into a person's self and go through this process of you know drinking the tea. And it seems to be a very mysterious thing. It seems that it is the only true medicine. It is one of the only true medicines when in a world of pharmacology where you're taking a pill to address symptoms. Here is something that. Is, is so life-changing, so life-altering that after only one session, you're reconnecting with yourself. You're reconnecting with your own body, your own spirituality, your own consciousness. Well, one thing that's also true is, is that it really is very individual and very personal. Not everybody who comes has the same experience. Not everybody who comes has the same powerful sense of transformation happen right away. You know, there was somebody I knew, for example, who came to rituals for a year before they actually experienced what they heard other people describing. But they could tell that there was something very dynamic going on. They just had to work through certain things before they could receive what was possible for them. But in the way that I look at medicine, I, I really believe that there's a divine intelligence that is responsible for the creation and the sustenance of the world that we live in. And that intelligence created this world for a purpose which relates to our spiritual evolution, our spiritual development. And 
on this earth, uh, the, that power, that intelligence, that divine architect put plants that could serve a variety of different purposes from healing us, from nurturing us, from providing shelter for us, but also certain plants that have the capacity to connect us back to the source. And so the, the real source of most medicine before this modern advent of, of pharmacology and, and um, you know, ph pharmaceutical um, chemical substances was the plant realm, was where people would come to look for healing, to look for health. And so this, um, to be able to, I, I agree with you, I think that the, the true medicine, the true healing comes from plants. And there are many, many different kinds of plants that address many different dimensions of healing. What's unique about these two plants, which are united in a ritual way, is that they work on our consciousness and they work on our spirit. It's like a, a medicine for the spirit, a medicine for the part of us that has been feeling separate from, from life itself. And it restores that sense of connection to, to life. Yeah, I make a small joke to my friends. I say that instead of a bank on every street corner, we should have a UDV center on every street <laughs> corner. I, I feel it's it's so integral to connect with these compounds that do seem to serve as this true medicine. If if we could just explore what what is happening in a ritual setting within a UDV. When when a person comes to the UDV, what, what is happening there? Well, they would encounter... Uh a very simply designed room where there is a simple altar and a simple uh, photograph of the founder of our religion, uh, Mestre Gabriel, and a place where uh, the sacrament is held and people come up and receive it one by one. Uh, we drink all together at the same time. We sit in comfortable chairs that support us and people concentrate within themselves. We, we drink this tea for the purposes of mental concentration to help us have greater facility for inner reflection, for inner contemplation, to be able to have greater awareness of our own self. And it also animates and elevates our awareness of our own vital energy, of our own spirit, as I was saying before. And so the rituals are contemplative, they're instructive. Within the, the rituals, there are teachings that are given, orientations given. People have the opportunity to, to ask questions and to to study within the answers that are given, to find greater awareness around the things that perhaps are challenges for them in life. And so this that's what the UDV rituals are for, to help instruct, to help orient, to help guide, and to help give people the experience of a greater connection to God. And and this is why, as you were drinking this tea through the 90s, this is why it was so important to you to see that this legislation worked in your favor, that the court decided in your favor because of the mutual benefit for humanity, for human beings to have access to something that helped them heal themselves. No, absolutely. I mean, it was a very, I knew that there was a lot at stake. I mean, there was my personal freedom that was at stake because if uh, the decision had gone a different way, I conceivably could have been found to have violated a law and, and you know, punished within the, the rules of law in our society for having done that. Fortunately, um, I was guarded throughout the whole process and no harm came to me at, at any moment. But there was the awareness that I had that, that this wasn't just for me. 
that I really was struggling for a possibility for the people in the United States and a possibility really for people around the world to have this way of communing with the divine, this way of reconnecting with nature, this way of gaining greater spiritual awareness, validated and affirmed and guarded within the law. And so I knew that this, there was more, this was more than a personal struggle. I really wanted this possibility for humanity to be affirmed and to be uh, confirmed legally. Wow. Yeah. In more than a 10-year legal struggle, the the UDV did end up securing the right to use Huasca as a tea, as a religious sacrament in the United States. Yeah, we were able to, and it resulted from a lot of very conscientious work. You know, one thing that the, the UDV teaches relates to the importance of our word. And literally in the process of arriving at the decision of receiving the word of the Supreme Court, confirming that we had the legal right that we were um, seeking them to affirm. We prepared thousands of pages of documents to present, telling our story, giving testimony, having medical experts, having legal scholars, having uh, treaty scholars, having scientists, having doctors, having different people come forward to give their testimony about the validation the validity of our religious practice in order to be able to have the court with full awareness confirm it. And, and the decision was unanimous, and that was something that I wasn't expecting, but it was something that it was apparently so clear to the judges um, from the time we, we began till the time that we completed the presentation of our case that we had a unanimous decision from the Supreme Court that is rarely unanimous about anything in this you know, current era, but it was something that they could see. And it was very powerful. I remember the day that the oral arguments were, were being presented, and, and this was people with a lot of authority, legal authority, judicial authority, political authority, a lot of power in relationship to government authority, that we were coming before with the government of the United States asking, asking them to deny us rights that we felt were inherent within the Constitution and inherent within the law. And so they, on the one side, had very experienced and powerful, powerfully situated government lawyers who were asking the Supreme Court to reverse the decisions that the judges in the courts below had already affirmed. And there was, you know, 14 different judges that had already reviewed the case and reaffirmed it. And then they were asking these nine judges to change the decision that these lower court judges had reached. And so it was a powerful moment to come before this tribunal. And, and in the Supreme Court chambers, there are these images of different lawgivers, images of different people who brought the law and the light through the law to humanity. And so these people were there sitting in, in consideration of the right of people to unite with the sacred, the right of people to know our own origin, the right of people to connect and commune. And there was, you know, the authority, the political authority was, was coming and presenting all the arguments that they could to try to claim why this shouldn't be allowed. Unfortunately, the Supreme Court uh, found more righteousness and more truth and more justice in the arguments that we were presenting in the, in the testimony that we were giving, and, and they affirmed that right. 
Wow. Yeah. I mean, I there's so much thanks and just the work that you have spearheaded and the team of people that have secured this right for us to drink in the United States in this this precedent case. I read this um, this quote that you you said this has been. A, a time of indescribable stress and sadness for me. The effect of all of this has produced tremendous strain on my family, my personal health, and to some degree, my religious faith. It's it it's a war, you know. It it really seems like a war. I mean, we won. <laughs> no question. So, Jeffrey, I, I really want to know for you and in your own personal experience, and how long have you been drinking the tea now? Well, I first came to the UDV in July of 1990. And we're now October of 2016, so I've been at this for over 26 years. Yeah. What is something that you've has been shown to you or that you have realized through drinking the tea for as long as you have been drinking it? What I noticed at the beginning, and I think in some ways that's a very important time as we come out of one stage of life and, and into what will be the, the next developing stages of our life was an increase of my own intuition, an increase of my own sensibility and sensitivity. I, I, I believe, and the UDV teaches, that each one of us have a conscience, and within our conscience is a connection to a, a higher intelligence, a higher sense of order, a higher awareness. And so I felt my intuition growing as a result of my early experiences drinking the tea. And over the 26 years, that become that has become uh, something that I, I aspire to live with is the awareness of my awakened sensitivity to the world around me, in conversations with people, in the work that I choose to do, in what I'm called to do every day, from the moment I open my eyes in the morning until I go to rest at night, and and then even in my dreams sometimes to work within this awareness of maintaining my connection to the sacred, to this higher consciousness and bringing it into, into practice, into action in my life. So mm. over 26 years, it's, it's hard to distinguish, you know, one thing or another thing. There have been <laughs> so, so, so many things that have happened mm. to me, mm -hmm. but the general progression has been one of greater connectivity, greater happiness, more friends, more ease and more peace in my life and more joy. So Jeffrey, it's not just about the tea. It's also about this community and these people who actually love and care for you. I remember, I remember my first session with the tea and I showed up at this church and I have never been greeted with so much kindness and love and affection from complete strangers. I immediately felt more at ease than I ever had in my life. It was so life-altering for me to, to experience that, to connect with these people who at the time didn't know me and yet had their arms wide open and just so much love, so much outpouring of support and family, soul family. Yeah, I'm so happy that it was that way for you. And I really hope it's that way for anybody who would find their way to, to come to know this. And I think it's part of in this process of awakening and coming to greater understanding of what it means to be human and greater understanding of the laws that govern the human experience. I believe that the awareness comes that the fundamental principle of life is that we're here to love. We're here to love, we're here to serve, we're here to care for one another. And the more spiritually awakened a person becomes, the more that becomes the, the fundamental 
mandated their life. You know, I was talking about this the other day. We were talking about the evolution from um, Judaism into Christianity, which which Jesus came as a as a guide to to take people into the next level of the human awareness in 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 that era. And at that time, there were hundreds of laws and regulations that were practiced within the you know the the religion, the faith of that time. And Jesus came in a sense to to clarify and to simplify that. And and he said that the the essence of the law is is one, you know, and I guess it became known as the golden rule to love God above all things and to love the other as you love yourself. And that simple practice is something that the more awakened we become, the more the imperative to love, I think, starts to guide us. And so you can encounter that with people who are genuinely and sincerely interested in you and caring about you and wanting to welcome you because they want to extend to you the care and the love that they've been treated with in their walk and their practice as well. That's it's very profound what you're what everything you're saying and is there something that you know there i i notice with with this show and we we do cover puaska and we do cover this type of topic so i i get mm. uh many messages where people are are seeking the tea they're looking for the tea and there has almost been a sort of migration that has happened towards an actual medicine outside of the Western med- medical system that where people can, f- they feel that this, this tea can change their lives. And I think every story that I've heard about someone traveling to Peru and spending, you know, four or $5,000 to, to go there and drink with a shaman there, there, there seems to, it, it's almost becoming sort of a trend for people of my generation that, that are, are seeking something more than, than just the, the ordinary and, and the, the same answers that we've, we've always gotten. And we're just searching for more. We're searching for the truth. And so my question to anyone listening to this, this show and listening to us, how can we become more in tune with our own consciousness and our own desires and our own needs and, and what we need to do for ourselves and, and for humanity? Mm, that's a huge question. I mean, I feel that the, uh, there's a universal truth that has reflected in, in so many of the religions of the world and so many spiritual practices of the world. And I think people who find that truth find resonance with people from different faiths or from very different cultures because we live according to the same basic principles when we come to understand the the purpose of life, when we come to understand the essence of life and the meaning of life. And so I think that this quest that has been evolving where people have been um, called to, now that the awareness that this possibility exists has um, been brought to greater awareness. I mean, I was at a conference in uh, Spain um, in 2014 that was centered around the use of this Tea. It was called the Globalization of Ayahuasca Conference, the first international conference on this topic. And there were people from over 70 countries there, um, hundreds of people who were interested in learning more about this tea. And I'm going to be on, in a couple of weeks going down to, to Rio Branco, Brazil, where there's going to be the second conference and people again from all over the world and different cultures coming. And because where this conference is occurring, it's actually taking place 
in the Amazon region. There are people from tribal cultures and shamanic healers and people from different um, ways of working with this sacred tea who are going to be coming and, and presenting at the conference. And, and I think that the repercussions of it are going to be very powerful and many more people are going to learn about this. And as often happens with uh, our tendencies, which sometimes are, are needing to improve and that they're, they're not everybody who works with the tea does it with the same degree of integrity, does it with the same degree of care, does it with the same degree of consciousness. Mm-hmm. And so it's not just the tea itself that brings about the transformation. And this is a point that we, we really, um, that I, I hope people can understand and, and that I always try to strive to clarify. The tea itself is a tool, but it's a tool or a key, shall we say, that could open many different doors. And it's, it's, it's which doors get opened and how a person is directed and conducted within the ritual that really brings about the change of life. So what we teach about in the UDV is it's the tea, it's the teachings that come from the mestre and from the mestres that he taught, who have taught other mestres who today carry these teachings forward. The doctrine, which is about the changes that we need to make in our life to have greater equilibrium, to have greater health, to have greater harmony in our lives. And then there's what you spoke of before, the the friendship, the community of love where we live these principles and we make these practice. And all of those elements are vital. So it's not just drinking the tea itself. And there have been unfortunate incidences where people spend a lot of money and they've traveled down to the Amazon and they've had an experience that was not positive for them. And and I've, I know of people who have returned very disoriented from that. So the tea in and of itself is not um, a cure-all. It is something that has the potential to bring great goodness and great benefit, but it depends where you receive it, in one context you receive it, and how you're instructed to work with it that brings about the real change. Hmm. Yeah, wow, that's such a powerful, powerful tool, such a powerful thing, such a powerful organization. Uh, Jeffrey, I think I could sit here all day and, and kind of inquire more and more about what's going on with you and the, and the tea and, and consciousness. I feel very honored to, I don't think that you give many of these interviews, so I'm very, very honored to have you here and to discuss the case and, and what the UDV is doing as a community and and for humanity and and for consciousness and I feel that it's it's very early in these stages as an organization it is still quite quite young so we have we have a long road ahead and I I believe that this organization can help many many people Jeffrey it's it's truly an honor sir I mean is is there anything that you would like to give to anyone listening advice any anything that you would like to kind of have a moment to say to anyone that might be listening to this thank you you know for the opportunity to to offer something in this way and and I just really want to say that for people to recognize that the privilege of being alive is a sacred gift that has come to each one of us from a divine intelligence and that our life is filled with meaning and that we each have a purpose that we have come onto this earth in order to realize. Ultimately, that purpose being to awaken spiritually and come to understand our relationship to this infinite divine power, which is filled with light, which is light, which is peace, which is love. And this is our destiny. This is our inheritance. And so if people are finding that their experience is is unsatisfying or hard or or they're finding uh, they're in a time of uncertainty 
I just want to offer the reassurance that there is great hope and great reason for 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 knowing that there's something awaiting you, something that can fulfill you, something that will be the answer to your prayers, something that will teach you how to live in harmony with the beauty that's all around us. And that this this is really what awaits each one of us. And I just can offer this with certainty and, and reassurance that we we're we're on a journey that will take us to a place of more beauty and more happiness than we could ever ever imagine. And that this is what what, what awaits us in this rising new day of humanity that's begun. Jeffrey, there's, there's such an amazing potency to your words, and I, I'm, I'm at a loss for them, actually. I, I'm so thankful for your presence here, for the work that you've done, and for, for fighting this battle for us so that we, we do have this opportunity to express religious freedom and, and take part in this, in this sacrament. Jeffrey, where can where can people find more about the UDV if if they're interested? I'm, I'm sure anyone listening to this conversation will be interested in finding more about the UDV. Yeah, there's a, a website. It's udv.com.br, and that's where you could find out more information. And then there's also a udvusa.com website that explains about some of our work in the United States. So there's that's where the information I think is for people to come and. And find and and then if there's a a place in the local community where people live, um, there's information about that where the communities are and where the groups are that they could find on the website. Amazing, Jeffrey, my good sir, uh, it's it's really been a pleasure and honor. I I, uh, I can't thank you enough for for being here, being open with this whole story. It, it's very remarkable, and and again, thank you for the work you've done, you continue to do, and uh, your presence today. It's my pleasure, and and I, I it's part of my joy to be able to to share this. I've I've benefited so much, I've learned so much, and to be able to share this with other people and open this possibility for others is really my happiness. We worked really hard to be able to have this right to secure this right, but as I was saying before, it wasn't just for us. It's to make it possible to bring about a a change in humanity because we really need this. We need reorientation. We need to have better understanding about how to live well on this earth. And I'm, I'm grateful to be part of this movement of, of awakening that's happening and, and honored to be able to, to, in some small way, tell people about this practice and, and, uh, and, and share my experience. Love it. I have a big, big smile on my face. Uh, Jeffrey, thank you again. Uh, This is the human experience, guys. We will see you guys next week. Thank you guys so much for listening.